SoCal QOL. It is Sunday. I hope you are ready for another week in the world of 2019. But before we do that, we are going to have a little chat about our good friend, spiritual wellness on this amazing Sunday. And last week we talked about the morals, ethics, and values of spiritual wellness. Because I feel like a lot of us, when we hear the term spiritual wellness, we go, oh, we're talking about religion. And that isn't always the case. Yes, religious faiths have a lot of morals, ethics, and values. But at the end of the day, you can experience a quote-unquote spiritual encounter just by you sitting with your thoughts, meditating on a subject matter, a situation that happened in your life, and overall just being present in the fact that you are a very, very small grain of sand in the beach of the universe. Sorry, that got all artsy. But because this is spiritual wellness, and we already talked about three-fourths of it last week of the whole wellness side, I do want to talk about the spiritual side because, you know, religious faith, having beliefs, beliefs in something bigger than yourself and being grateful for something bigger than yourself, either directing your steps or guiding you to where you feel like you need to be, all that good stuff is the kind of the topic of today. So I'm going to read actually the definition of spiritual wellness, just to sum it all up. Uh, and this is actually coming from the ucdavis.edu. Uh, I think it's a blog of some sort. Uh, it's under, 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 it's under, I think, campus resources or student health and counseling services. But the crazy part is actually, this is the, the article slash website that I found when I was initially creating SoCalQOL as a wellness services company. So the fact that we're now going to pull from it, I think is important because this is kind of where the foundation, you know, for all the types of wellness began and the framework that I thought was not only the most important aspects of wellness, but they almost define it to where anyone can relate. And I think being practical with, with the material that any business, any company, any any product that you buy, if if you can't think of it practically, it's probably not going to be worth listening to, using, buying, all that good stuff. So let's just read this article or article. Let's read this paragraph of the article because um, odds are we're going to go through the whole article uh, over the next you know three or four weeks, but. The definition of spiritual wellness. Spiritual wellness allows us to be in tune with our spiritual selves. This realm of wellness lets us find meaning in life events and define our individual purpose. Spiritual wellness can be defined through various factors, including religious faith, values, ethics, and morals. Regardless of whether you believe in a particular religious faith, there is always something to be learned about how you see yourself in the world. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Essentially, I think everyone can relate to having either a religious 
background from our families or maybe even your school system was Catholic or some other denomination of Christianity. I know that a lot of times religious faiths get, you know, very, very uh, uh, bad reputations for other things that other people do. And a lot of people have the right to feel a certain way about a religion because of how they were treated from someone who preached that or for someone who used that religious faith to back up their actions. And all in all, we need to be very sensitive to to the way in which we teach and promote anything but more importantly, religion, because if your religion is about love and caring for other people, giving to everyone always, and yet you don't do that or you only do that when X, Y, and Z happens, that's probably not right. And so obviously the, I think the biggest religion in America is Christianity, believing in Jesus, believing he died on the cross and believing that uh, there's, you know, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And through his sacrifice, we are forgiven. And we don't have to worry about sacrificing anything as far as, you know, what they used to sacrifice, which was, you know, animals. And uh, that was taken away when he died. And now that that has happened, as long as we accept him into our life, into our soul, into our, um, you know, the rest of our days on earth, we can pretty much be assured that we're going to go to a place after we die that is meaningful and the spiritual bliss and perfect. And that's essentially why we live the life we live here because we're already given this amazing gift, uh, and basically for free. So with just the religious faith in general, or uh, like with religious faiths in general, we have, we have a, a deity, we have a, a big man in the sky, we have maybe some followers or maybe um, some important figures in the stories uh, that we hear from the books that we read about it. And then from there, there are morals, values, and principles that we're supposed to follow to not only be better people, but to make other people better people. So unfortunately, there have been too many accounts of of abuse in the kind of power that you can have when you represent a certain kind of faith. And I can only speak from experience with Christianity, but... I want to I want to try to look at the positives. I want to look at the the ways in which we can see something like Christianity as a good thing that doesn't necessarily have to be abusive, doesn't have to abuse powers, but but even take advantage of other people. And it's sad to say it, but it happens all the time. Every day there's someone doing something for free for a church or for someone who works for a church. And 
they're either not getting they're not getting a mutual uh, relationship out of it. It's they're they're really just it's one way because for some reason people think that because they represent something bigger than themselves that makes them bigger than the people that are around them, which really makes no sense because that's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. But like I said, I want to try to focus on the positives and I want to speak from experience because of, you know, how I was brought up and the things that I benefited from. Obviously, the things that I didn't benefit from, I'll probably throw in there because we have to have positives and negatives uh, to compare and to share. Otherwise, everything can't just be perfect. Uh, You know, nothing is perfect and things are going to be wrong. But we can also protect ourselves from being put in positions where we get hurt and neglected and taken advantage of, uh, you know, more than once. So I grew up in a Christian home, very happy family. We went to church every week and I'm not proud to say it, but I definitely fell asleep in church like every service. Granted, we would go to a Saturday night service, which is usually smaller, less equipped with all the the big productions and the you know the crazy jam-packed services. But I also didn't really get introduced into like a youth ministry or a college ministry until I was actually working in the church, which sounds weird, but it's true. And it was, it was never something that I was forced to do. Like going to church was kind of expected because it's a family thing and we were going together. But as far as believing the actual religion or I shouldn't say believing in it, but more so accepting it into my own DNA and my own future, because a lot of times if you're forced to do anything, you're going to push back. That's a normal reflex. It's a defense mechanism. And so when I was introduced to the church and I sat in enough services, I heard enough things to where I said, okay, I can believe in this because of X, Y, and Z. And I say, I think I got baptized when I was nine. So essentially I accepted Jesus into my life when I was nine. Flash forward 10 years, going through high school, I didn't really drink. Uh, you know, that's that, that's not really a prerequisite for being Christian, but more so obeying the laws of the land. If I'm not 21, I'm not going to drink. Um, I didn't have sex till after my, you know, teen years. And once again, wasn't uh, necessarily something that I tried to do. It was just, I didn't, I didn't think it was what I should do because of what I was hearing. And, and it definitely took away a lot of problems that I could have had in an early age, but there was a point when I, I think I just broken up with like one of my first girlfriends. So I was around 17, 18 I just graduated. I I was never really taught to take my SATs, apply to colleges and go to school 
although it was an option, but I was I was always looking for something different. I think that's kind of something as far as a as a a principle of of everybody. Uh, we for the most part we're always trying to do something that's you know a little different than than most people and not trying to if you are going to go with the sheep or the herd you're going to do it in a way that fits you and suits you so for me going to school meant doing something different and so for me a lot of people that i knew were either staying locally or they were going really far away and so i kind of met in the middle i went to i went to a an introduction to a school in Hollywood called the Musicians Institute. And my dad actually found it through a band or an artist that he liked that recommended it. It was crazy. It was super weird. But it was my dad who first initiated the 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 situation or the proposal of moving to LA, going to the school. So when we went to go check it out, I actually got a free like week or two to go to the school, go to the classes see it for myself. And yeah, uh, basically after I moved to LA, you know, I, like I said, I just broken up with my girlfriend. I was super bitter about just life. And like, I think my bands had broken up too. And all the things that I thought I really, really, really cared about were gone. And I felt like that wasn't right. And not realizing that, you know, self-awareness wise, I just didn't know what I wanted. And the things that worked out for me are, are great and all, and were fun to be a part of. But at the end of the day, if you don't manifest what's happening in your life and you're not knowing exactly what's happening, it's probably not a good equation to equal happiness. So if you are ignorant, but you're having a good time being successful, making some money or, you know, going in a direction that is positive, but then it, it, it ends up being happiness only if you can keep being ignorant. And I couldn't keep being ignorant because those things that I loved and that was, I was having success in and the things that I cared about were now gone. So ignorance plus nothing equals not happiness. And I took it out on God. I I literally said, you know what, Jesus, I don't care about you. I don't need you. You've already messed up, you know, the last 10 years of my life. And, you know, I was, I was good. I was a good kid. You know, I didn't do too many terrible things. I was actually the one kid and I'm sure if my high school friends and even best friends see this, they're going to say, yeah, that's right. But, you know, I never wanted to do anything bad. So when my friends wanted to teepee houses or, you know, do do stuff that wasn't, you know, necessarily the most ethical, <laughs> I would basically hide in the corner or I would pretend like I was sick or I would try to leave early or whatever. Instead of just like being like, you guys can do whatever the hell you want. I don't care. I'm not going to do it. Shit. Like, no, like I know who I am. I don't need to do that stuff to feel good about myself. So go right ahead. You know, granted, if I was someone like Gary Vee, I wouldn't even have been with, or I shouldn't say with, but I, I wouldn't have been in situations that would even lead to those things because it would be hustling or working on the weekends or, you know, 
trying to make money after school instead of that and having, you know, a crowd that does those things. I was, I was really just, just being comfortable and trying to fit in, not to a point where I would stress out about it, but more so because that's how we all do. We all, we all try to fit into the crowd that we're hanging out with for high school and future college people, all that good stuff. So flash forward again, say bye-bye to God for the next three to four years. I was going to school. I was, you know, hanging out with some LA family and dating and doing the stuff that I felt was important to me and I felt led to do and God didn't have to tell me to do it because, you know, ethically it's okay because I'm a good person and I can do whatever I want. Do, 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 do. No. So nothing I was doing fit any type of lifestyle or method or whatever. It's not like I was going crazy doing drugs and, you know, I've shared that before. I couldn't, I couldn't hang with Hollywood and it, it wasn't ethically correct for me to sit there because I, I, I felt it in my spirit, like things were not right. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of spiritual warfare up in Hollywood and you can feel it when you, when you, if, if not, when you're walking down the street there, but if you're even, uh, you know, if you go to Skid Row and you see the, the community there, and I mean, obviously it's a impoverished, uh, place, but there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And the only place some people know to go when they're homeless, have no money and need to survive is, is Skid Row in LA. Uh, but luckily there's a lot of people that have a certain type of heart where they'll go and, and minister or provide food, all that good stuff there. So that wasn't me. I was selfish. I was doing things for myself the relationships I was in, I was always thinking about me, 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 me. If it made me happy, I would do it. If it hurt other people, I didn't care. And I would say whatever the hell I wanted. I would basically do whatever I wanted. I, I, you know, I smoked weed. I I smoked cigarettes. I drank a lot. Usually when I drank is when I would have the worst blowups with girlfriends and it's just sad. Very, 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 very sad. And it wasn't until I met a few other people in the music industry that had a little bit more of a faith-based outlook on life, even though they were also in the world doing the party scenes and playing music in Hollywood and all that stuff. They still had a backbone of, well, hey, man, we still go to church on Sunday. You know, we even play in church on Sunday. And I was like, you can play at church on Sundays? It's just this huge, weird, different world that I had no idea about. And, you know, because I grew up going to a church on a Saturday night with no youth ministry, I didn't know you could even be involved. I Actually, I didn't even think about how people were playing on stage anyways, but I knew like it was boring. It was, it wasn't, it was acoustic music that it just didn't vibe with me. I started playing guitar because of Green Day. So if it didn't have electric guitar in it, I wasn't playing it. If it didn't have power chords, and it's just open strums. No, I'm good. I'll just take a nap. So when I got introduced to playing in church, that's kind of when I guess there was like a battle because I, I had broken up with girlfriends. I would go back to church to play. I would hear things from the pulpit and in the sermons and in the word of God that contradicted exactly what I was doing or contradicted the lifestyle I had or... You know, so 
there is obviously a disconnect between how I'm living my life and how a religion tells you you should live it. And so, as I would say most religions do, they make you they make you check what you're doing and hold you accountable to to what kind of future you want to have. If you want to be healthy, you need to eat healthy. If you want to be rich, you have to learn how to make money. So there was always this back and forth, like a tug of war. So every time I would break up with a girlfriend, you know, even the ones I would bring to church and I would still end up breaking up with them because I'm, you know, I'm living with them or we're sleeping together or, you know, I'm drinking and throwing up the night before church or whatever. It's like you get convicted, you know, you, you, you feel the conviction, you know, it's wrong. I mean, we've all, we've all done stuff that we know is wrong and we know is ethically not correct. And society doesn't have to tell us that the law doesn't have to tell us that we just know when things are bad. So that feeling is a very, is a very good thing because if you don't have that compass, if you don't have that moral, like direction, then you are going to be frustrated more times than you're not. So if, if you're frustrated more times than you're not, your day is going to be super stressful or it's going to be confusing as hell because when you do try to make a decision, you're going to be pointed in so many different directions except for the one that you kind of have been told is a good way to go. So it wasn't until I was 24 four, I believe. And I'd been playing in church for a year or two. And, you know, that was an interesting scenario too, because you didn't have to be quote unquote Christian to play in church. They just wanted, you know, respectable, honorable, uh, musicians who knew what they were doing to provide the music. So, and you got, you know, you got to be a good person. You can't be a jerk cussing and beating up people and hitting on girls. Like you're not going to do that. You're going to be respectable and you're going to, you're going to make sure that you honor the, the people that employ you. So it wasn't until there was a service where I was sitting and the, the pastor basically said everything that I was either feeling I had just recently done, I had, you know, been through a whole crap load of stuff and it was me. It was literally like, if this is you, raise your hand. I literally raised my hand because, you know, I'm ignorant in in the church world because even though I grew up in it, I I didn't know when they asked questions that you weren't supposed to raise your hands. I hope you guys like my bug. I think this is Dr. Seuss. I don't know. It's big. So I can fit a lot of tea. Okay. So as I raise my hand, I rededicate my life to the Lord. I instantaneously stopped smoking, I believe. I don't think I stopped drinking, but maybe I did. So I was like 24. And I remember it was close to my birthday because my dream for my 25th birthday, and I just recently told this to my wife, so it's kind of funny that's coming up right now. But I'd recently, t- or I recently told, or I, I'd recently told my my wife this, that when I was gonna turn 25, I wanted to freaking rent, a, like a Lamborghini or Ferrari, for you know they're like 
a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks for the day probably. I wanted to drive up, you know, pick up my best friend, go up and down the coast, maybe end up in Vegas and be like, woohoo, I'm 25, I can rent a Ferrari on my own. After you get rededicated to your religion and you know how important your money is to giving, you know, how important it is to sacrifice financially to provide things for other people. I just, I couldn't for the life of me convince myself to spend $1,500 on a rental car. There was no way. So what I do instead, I literally, I, I rented or I didn't rent. I, I went to one of my favorite like bar slash food places Invited all my friends and family to come up to L.A. Or if they were in L.A., they would come down from the valley. We met at this this bar slash restaurant, and I just had an open tab for food. I wasn't drinking, but I had an open tab for food, and I I probably spent like two or three hundred bucks. But it was all for my family and friends. Like it was literally like, hey, let's just have a good time. Let's talk. Let's let's just celebrate being alive. And, you know, in that moment, I felt very free because I was still hung over by uh, my last breakup, which it took me years to get over. And there's kind of a little catch with that. So I remember I stopped drinking for sure then, but I wasn't necessarily not sleeping with girls or I was still living in sin, they call it, in that regard with my relationships so my social wellness was really shitty, but my spiritual wellness felt good. I felt morally like I was, I was thinking clearly. I was thinking of other people versus, you know, just thinking about myself. It took me, I think another like six months to a year to just decide that I wasn't going to date anymore. It was super weird, but I just had this weird thought that maybe the reason why I'm not finding my soulmate is because I'm in the way. And that's a lot of times something that your religion or your faith will guide you in. You know, when it tells you not to sleep with people before you're married, it's because that is an entirely spiritual connection with someone. If you've ever had sex with somebody that you're not married to and that you've, you know, don't see again, you have something connected. You you've you've seen them in a very vulnerable state. You've you've connected with them in a way that is nowhere near just a handshake or a hug or a kiss. You know, kissing is close. It ain't as close as it is having sex. And so that was my decision. I think at 20, yeah, five and a half or something. And so I just said, you know what? I'm just going to be single. If I'm single for the rest of my life, so be it. That's just the way it is. But I'm not going to try to play the games anymore. I'm not going to try to pursue people because it's just always gotten me in trouble. I, I, I definitely don't know what I'm doing. So for me, I'm a very all, in the, all or nothing person. I'm trying to get better at that. But I'm a very all or nothing person. So 
as I stopped dating, it was like I was like tunnel visioned on everything else, but, you know, dating and seeing women and trying to hit on them or do whatever. So music, my bands, my church, uh, you know, my, my, my job, which was playing music, but I played it mostly at church and, and, you know, creating music and touring and doing things that had everything but pursuing a a, a mate. So now here's where the fun begins is because in that moment, in those times, you know, I, I spent the three years single after I think this two years of being single, I was having a walk with my dad and I was telling him what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And he was like, wow, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, he's like, but you know, do, do you know what you want in a woman? Have you ever spent the time to, you know, write a list? And I, um, I thought that was a good question. Um, I didn't necessarily think that it was necessary, but, you know, coming back to the ignorance plus being happy equals, or ignorance plus things that worked out, being successful, making a living equals happiness, you know, I, I that first part I needed to change. So it, it de- definitely re- re- resonated with me uh, to, to make sure that I knew I knew what I wanted. And as I'm trying to look this up, things I need, maybe it's under my wife's name. I better have it, dang it. Um, it should be in here, let's see. Things I need, how about just things? 10 things. It says why you plan beforehand. Well, let's just say the 10 things that I saw in my future wife, which included, you know, being equally yoked, which means spiritually you're on the same page. You believe in the same God. You have the same values, ethics, morals, all that good stuff. Uh, but also, you know, they take care of their temple, they take care of their body. So they're not, you know, eating like shit, but also not, yeah, not, not doing drugs or, you know, not doing bad things to themselves. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm weird with plastic surgery because I believe firmly in it for people that need plastic surgery because of their burn victim, or they've had some kind of disability or something happened where those types of surgeries can be super helpful for their wellness. Um, but even like breast implants and stuff like that, like, I'm just like, you know, my wife's like, Hey, if I, if I give birth and I'm given, uh, I'm breastfeeding for the, the kids and as time goes on, they're gonna, they're not going to be as happy as they were when, when we had kids. So before we had kids, so I'm opening up to that, but as of right now, my wife's perfect. She doesn't need to change. If she wants to do anything, she knows how to go to the gym and kick ass there. So uh, another one is be open to adoption. 
you know, these were these these are just values and and moral things that I personally like they resonated with me and my spirit and told me this was my guide, you know. And sure enough, I think within like 6 months of that, I was invited to a birthday party, but I didn't know the I didn't know the girl. I didn't, you know, but I was with friends from church that I was familiar with. And so when I show up, everyone knows who I am. I don't know who she is, and she probably vaguely knew who I was, but I'm the kind of guy who when I'm when I'm comfortable, I I do comfortable things like I sit in an empty chair next to someone I don't know and not really thinking about it. I just assumed that she was there with people that I knew. And lo and behold, you know, I say hello and she goes, well, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Scott. I, I play guitar at church and whatever, you know. And she goes, oh, well, this is my birthday party and I didn't invite you, you know, and I'm like, shoot, okay, well, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know if I said, like, do you want me to leave or whatever? But I just took that as like, man, this girl's freaking kind of a douche. So I ended up sitting there still, ate dinner with everyone, enjoyed hanging out. And uh, that was kind of that. And probably the next week when there was service or I was at an event or I was passing through the, the hallways, you know, I would see her, but she was just super loud and obnoxious. And it's like always wanting attention and just, you know, the people that she was with that like I was cool with when they were around her, they would just act different. And I was like, man, this girl is, she's nothing but trouble, man. And you know, I, I ignored it. I ignored the fact that I was put off by her. But at the same time, because I had that tunnel vision, you know, for the past three years, essentially, I didn't even think about it. And from their perspective, when I say there, I mean, like any girl that thought of me other than just a friend or a guy who plays guitar on stage or whatever. No, they probably thought I was a douche. Because essentially, that's what she told me. She's like, yeah, you were a jerk. And I didn't like you either. And you seem self-centered. And you you seem to just only care about what you wanted to care about. And you seem really selfish. And, and so, even though at the core, or I should say, even though in the past, when I was doing those things to actually be selfish, I was probably nicer. And people would have actually been more drawn to me. But then once, you know, once you peel that onion, people would start crying around me because it's like, man, this guy doesn't know how to hold his liquor. He's just all over the place. But now that I'm in this state where, you know, I know who I am, I'm being self-aware of what I need to do to get to where I want to be, having that moral compass, people actually still saw me a certain way, but it was okay because I, I, was, I was content. And I was solid in my values and my my whole outlook on life just worked. And I was going to pursue that with all I had. And the way I did that was I ignored all the girls and just did my thing. So long story short, she was around more. I still didn't like her. 
there was one instance where my boss needed something. I didn't know how to solve it. I didn't know how to get him what he needed. And lo and behold, she heard about it. She offered to help out of no no reason other than as a Christian, we try to just give as much as we can, even if it's to someone we don't necessarily get along with or like, because that's what, that's how Jesus moves. That's how the, the, the hand of God, you know, the hands and feet, we're supposed to be the hands and feet. And in that moment, something clicked and it was like, oh my God, I feel something. I am attracted to what this person is, this this being who is now in front of me, even though she's been in front of me and I've ignored her. I've ignored what she's all about and how she, you know, talks and all that good stuff. Now that I have seen her in this light, it was like ding, 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 ding. And I think it took me another week or two to actually ask her out. And the funny thing about that was the two weeks that I was essentially writing a record, playing on tour, and then doing my regular church services and music stuff every week, I had I had hit like a breaking point. And I, I just, like I said, I hadn't been on a date in three years. Hadn't been pursuing anyone. And I like, there's just something inside me that was like, you need to go on a date with someone who has no idea who you are, who literally just can have a good time. And the person that came up was my wife, my future wife. And once again, that moral compass, the ethical thing was the fact that she, she treated me the way I would want to be treated, even though I didn't deserve it. The moral thing was the fact that, you know, I, I all honestly wanted to reciprocate the fact that she did something good for me all for free and helped me out so much. And so when I did ask her, actually, the funniest thing was when I went to go ask her out, she had already left because she got in a fight with her, her ex-boyfriend and, it was hilarious because literally as I'm going to ask her out, she had just drove, driven away and I scrambled to like try to find her. And, and I think she gave me her number or I contacted her in a weird way. Like I, someone else had her number or had her phone or had their phone that they could call her on. Whatever. All in all is I asked her out over the phone as she's driving away because I was just it was just I had to do it. You know, a compass. It told me what to do. It said, go, do it now. Go, go, do it now. So ask her out. It's a day date. I literally wear a tank top and shorts. And we eat at this place called Memphis, which is only in Costa Mesa now in Southern California. And it was fine. It was cool. But the biggest thing that she did, she was one of the big women's ministry people. Well, she was one of the people that was very influential in the women's ministry for the people that were important in the women's ministry. But she was rat, ra- she was rattling off all these things about how 
She wants to give a man every opportunity to be a man. She wants to give her spouse every opportunity to be a man. Open my door, pay my bills, or um, treat you know treat me the right way, or things that I didn't know I actually wanted. And as she was saying those things, ding 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 ding, another thing hit me. I'm like, oh my god, I didn't even know I wanted that, and I I, I now I really want that. And she's saying she can give it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So needless to say, we went on two more dates. One to her favorite place at the time. What's our favorite place called Sugarfish in LA. Shout out to Sugarfish. Then I took her to like Roy's or Fleming's in San Diego. So we did like OC, LA, San Diego. And on the San Diego date, we took a walk on the beach. At the time, I was really into real estate and I really wanted to buy houses. And we walked by this mansion that said for sale. And I jokingly said like, oh, like I would love to buy this house one day. And she's like, oh, guess what? I already bought it for you. She's amazing. No, she didn't buy it for me, but it was just a funny joke. Now, I'm going to try to shorten this story, but I, I do want to end with Still spiritual, morals, ethics, values. We we obviously were dating after that because I asked her to be my girlfriend in front of that house. I think it was... So that was October 4th. It's funny that I know, right? Ooh. Month goes by. Month and a half. I get the random urge. Moral compass. Just something told me, go do this because it was like a sign of faith. Because when I dated other girls that I told, oh, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to marry you. I would, I would say it, but I wouldn't do anything about it. I, I, I don't think I stepped in one jewelry store, ring store other than maybe once. So, and it was like, almost like a joke. It wasn't even like a real thing. So I was like, I got to go, I got to go look at rings is, is pretty much how I convinced myself that this was okay. Drive to Robbins Brothers, literally like five minutes before the doors close. And I'm this, I'm this jerk, you know, freaking if they had just, if I just come five minutes later, I would have shut the door in my face. I wouldn't have gotten the ring, blah, 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 blah. But the manager was there. Shout out to TJ. He's, I think... Just a sales now, salesman now at Costa Mesa's Robin Brothers. He's amazing. He sits there. He, t- he asks me what I'm there for. I tell him all the things that I just told you guys. And I'm like, and now I'm, I, I want to look at rings at least. And we look at rings. He goes around, tells me stories about the rings. And one of the stories he told was, you know, this, this series or this collection is this type of ring. And it symbolizes X, Y, and Z. And I just like, that's it. That's the ring for sure. I was like, can we get that? And we run my credit. He says, no problem. We put it on two cards. I'm out the door. So with literally in a third, you know, a month to 45 days of time that I asked my future wife out, I had a ring and it was, you know, November now I'm thinking like, Oh, I should ask, I should ask her to marry me at Christmas. Lo and behold, my future sister-in-law, 
they were actually pregnant. They announced the they announced it at the Christmas hangout. I had actually rented a limo for a dinner that we went to, and I had all these things in my head that I wanted to do. I had the ring in my hand, but that's a sign, people. That moral compass was like, do not say anything. <laughs> so I had to wait nine, like basically, no, seven more months. Seven more months to actually ask her to marry me. But it was worth it. We we got engaged July 31st. We decided to set a date. I actually forgot our anniversary, guys. Don't ever do that. October 4th was the day I forgot. So in lieu of that, because I had told her the whole time we've been dating that I wanted to marry her within a year, we actually got a date at the, a church that I was working at. And it was October 4th. So I technically made it, but now that's the reason why I know October 4th is my anniversary for my dating, not only because it's our dating date, but it's our wedding date as well. So through all that, having that moral compass, having the ethics, the equally yoked balance between my wife and I, the values that we stood for were the standards that we kept in everything that we did, whether it be church, family life, uh, in our own relationship, and then spiritually, knowing that there's a deity, there's something bigger than us that is in control. Granted, we do have free will. We have free will to love and choose to love, especially in our relationship. But to know that we're loved just as much is a very soothing uh, inspirational way of living. And in that realm, in that, in that presence and that environment, you can actually take away a lot of shit that for the most part, for most people, I mean, I don't know how some people get, a, get away with life in general. I say get away with it. Cause it's like, you're the luckiest human being in the world. Cause I couldn't do it. But some people can go through life and and be and not believe in God or not believe in a higher power, not believe that nothing anything's gonna happen after you die. And granted, I haven't had a kid yet, but I've heard that once you have a kid, there's no way you can sit there and look at the baby and tell yourself that there's not a God, or looking at a sunset or going to the Grand Canyon. All these things are these spiritual connections to our environments that that are there to guide us and there to tell us that this is right, this is wrong. This is maybe okay for now, but you're probably going to want to be over here soon. All that stuff. And so I apologize for the lengthy uh, talking, but that's what these podcasts are for. They're for the people that either have never heard a story like this, maybe they've heard a story like it, but maybe some pieces were missing, or they're on their way to work and the title of the podcast caught their eye or someone shared it or someone told them about it. So I really truly believe that as spiritual beings, because we do all have spirits, I don't think anyone can debate that, but as spiritual beings, we do need to have those values, morals, and ethics. 
especially when it's with your spouse, when it's with your significant other, if you can have the same thing with your friends, even better. But sometimes you're, you know, you're going to do life with people that don't believe what you believe. And if you can still have a lasting relationship, be one, uh, you know, live, do life, but, you know, live in harmony in that chaos. And I think a lot of us can relate to being in chaos in life, but still being okay with it and functioning in that. That would kind of be like what it would be to have a different faith than someone else. So this could be the longest single one-on-one podcast. So woohoo for that. But I want to just close with the fact that as I'm doing my transfer or as I'm doing the hashtag 365 experiment, one of the things is, you know, praying for me to connect me to the higher power who is downloaded these morals, these ethics, these values to me, which has led me to meet my wife, which has led me to start this business, which has led me to say no to other jobs and other careers and to put other things on hold because it's not my time yet. Or there's, there's not a clear path. I'd have to bulldoze things just to make them happen. And that's probably some of the most important self-awareness that you can get. And for me, to keep that in the daily, I'm praying. You know, for you, it might be meditating. Just being in, you know, being in your own little world for a bit. A couple minutes in the morning when it's quiet, late at night before you go to bed, when you just had a shitty day at work and you just have to take a cigarette break or go grab a beer. You're by yourself and just sit there and be like, man, I just... I just want to be thankful, grateful. I want to I want to be positive. I want to be around positive people. I don't want to be cynical. I don't I don't want to be negative. I don't I don't want to have these terrible dramatic things in my life, you know, maybe my job's killing me. And some of the best ways to get there other than just talking to yourself is to find not only a religion, but a community and a uh you know, a list of things that you can do to have a better quality of life. So that's where I'm going to end it today, you guys. I really appreciate every single one of you. Thank you for listening. If you do share it, amazing. Please like, subscribe, comment. You're amazing. Have a great day. Peace.